Hey, today, just for a few minutes, I'm gonna share with you another paragraph in Matthew, another passage in Matthew where Jesus is speaking. And what he talks about in this passage is how we respond to offense. You know, how do you respond to offense? And that could be intrusion into your life. Someone doesn't understand boundaries and they are intruding into your space or into your life. Or they're expecting something from you that, that is hard for you to give or perhaps they have some evil intent towards you. And how do you respond to that? What do we do with that? You know, um, Jesus said, I came to give life and to give abundant life, real abundant life, which means a life with joy, a life with peace, and a life with confidence. And so this passage today, I think, especially for our culture, is so significant, and probably for any culture in the world, we could say the same thing. It, it is so significant how we learn to respond to offense that if we do, it, it, this, this might be the most important message any of us will hear in this whole year. It could be the most important message many of us hear in our whole lifetimes. Because if I wanna live in an abundant life, I have to be following Jesus and obeying him. And one of the things God's word says is that we are to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all things because out of it flow the issues of life. And another translation says, it is the spring of life. And so what's in my heart is going to come out particularly when I face something that is offensive to me in my life. And so Jesus addresses that here. And uh, there are different ways we can respond to offense. In the Old Testament, we see at the very beginning, uh, Cain and Abel, children of Adam and Eve. And Cain came to God and made an offering. And his offering, First uh, John tells us, was outside the realm of faith. Now that either means that Cain didn't really have regard for God in his heart and therefore was not operating in faith, or it means that God had instructed them how he wanted them to make the offering, and Cain ignored that. And so God rejected Cain's offering. But Abel, his brother, made an offering in faith, which again means either heart, faith, trusting in God, coupled with, more than likely, obeying the way God wanted him to make that offering. And it says that when Cain saw that Abel's offering was accepted and his was rejected, Cain became angry. And it says that his countenance fell. There was no hiding it. He, he was really angry and he couldn't hide it. It, was, it showed on his face. Now God, in his great mercy, comes to Cain and says, you know, what's the problem? Why has your countenance fallen? Don't you understand if you do well, you'll be blessed? And he really gives Cain the opportunity to repent and, and to turn back and to step back into God's joy and peace. But Cain rejects that. He takes up an offense against his brother who did nothing to him. He's just offended because his brother, his little brother, by the way, was approved by God and he wasn't. And so he lures his brother out into a field and murders him. That, that's the beginning of all relational breakdown there, apart from Adam and Eve and them blaming each other over the original sin that they committed. But we see this, we see Cain responding to what he took as offense with a heart 
that was a heart of anger and resentment. And what happens in Cain's family line? Well, he has a son, son named Lamech. And Lamech says this. He says, it, it says, Lamech said to his wives, he wanted his wives to know the kind of guy he was. He says, I've killed a man for striking me and, and a boy for offending me. And he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech will be avenged seven times 70. Do you know what that heart is there? That is a heart that is filled with vengeance and anger. It's an anger-filled heart. And an anger-filled heart is going to, it's just gonna strip any of the joy or the peace of God that we possibly have in our lives. And so, um, in contrast to that, we have Stephen in the New Testament. And Stephen was a, a, a young man, a follower of Jesus. He was the first martyr, stoned to death. And you know, it doesn't say Stephen picked up stones and threw them back. Do you ever think of that? If someone throws a stone at you and a whole bunch of people are, wouldn't you have a tendency to say, I gotta defend myself, I'm gonna throw a stone back. But what Stephen does, Stephen's last words are, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. And do you know what? The Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And so Stephen standing there and taking this abuse and giving his life for the sake of the gospel, that was such, such an incredible thing that the Son of Man stands to honor him as this first martyr after the resurrection comes home to be with him. And so there's just something so powerful about having a right heart attitude to respond to offense. And, and Jesus shows us what that is here in Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. So stand with me. We'll read it together. And I'll read it out loud. You read it with me, okay? So Jesus, again, he says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not a turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So have a seat, and Father... Uh, we, we pray that you would take the truth of this passage and make it real in each one of our hearts and lives in these moments that we have to, to look at it in Jesus' name, amen. And so Jesus starts off saying, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, people have used this down through the centuries to justify retribution, to justify vengeance, you know, this person harmed me, I get to harm them back in an equal way. But the truth, of the, the truth of the matter is, this was never given to justify revenge. It was given to the judiciary of the day. And what God's intent was to eliminate vengeance, to eliminate vendetta. And to say to the courts, justice has to be balanced, it has to be fair. If, if, if an eye is taken, you can't take the person's life for that. So an eye for an eye. And so it was a limiting of vengeance. And you notice 
with uh, Cain in his revenge against um, his brother. His brother really didn't even do anything to him, but he thought he did. He felt embarrassed. He felt put down. He felt pushed aside, and he took it all out on his brother. And this is something that human beings tend to do. We overreact. We overcompensate. That's what Lamech said. I've killed a man for striking me. I've killed a boy for just bumping into me. You bump into me, and you're going to have real trouble. That's, that was Lamech's heart. And so Jesus is saying here that, um, that you've heard this said, an eye for an eye, and, and, and people have taken it the wrong way, and yet what God's intent was was to control the human heart and, and to limit, limit vengeance, not to, to give, give license to vengeance. And so Jesus goes on, and the next thing he says is this, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Now that sounds kind of odd, doesn't it? Don't resist an evil person. So does that mean if I go to a Reds game and on my way back to the car, someone comes up to me and tries to rob me, I'm supposed to just say, okay, wait a second, you didn't get all my money. I, I had a wad over here in the other pocket too, and so here you go. I don't think that's what it's saying. In fact, I'm sure it's not saying that. But what he is saying here, you can understand it when you understand the word resist and the depth of that word. Words all have this, this, this variety of nuances and depth to them. And in this context, this word resist means to stand against. It means to set yourself against or to uh, have a mindset of opposition to the evil person so that someone would almost say, well, it's my job to take down evil people. That's how I look at it. If I see someone who's evil, I'm gonna take them down a peg or two. That's my job, that's my heart. That's the heart of Lamech. That's the heart of Lamech that says, if, if you are evil and you intrude into my circle of influence, I'm gonna take you down. And he's saying here, don't have that kind of heart because that kind of heart, all it does to offense, it just, it just reacts to offense. And it reacts out of bitterness and hatred and, and, and an already decision to uh, more than likely overkill. So it's a heart posture, get this, a heart posture of hostility towards the hostile. A heart posture of evil towards the evil. That doesn't work. Because the last thing I wanna do is allow people that come into my circle of orbit who do have perhaps evil intent or evil hearts, I don't wanna let them control my heart. I wanna let Jesus control my heart. I wanna be more like Stephen than like Lamech. I wanna have a heart that, that cries out and says, God, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Those are Stephen's final words. And so Jesus is saying here, control, have a heart of love for people. I mean, who needs Jesus more than the evil person? And how do I give Jesus to the evil person if I respond to them in like kind? I can't. It's all about loving people. It's all about seeing people, even evil people, as broken, seeing them as redeemable, and maybe even not, not, lay, layering, not, not laying that moniker on anyone. You're an evil person. Just don't even think that way. 
You know, when he says that here, it's talking about the person who offends you that you might perceive as, well, how dare they? How could they possibly do that? So you perceive them as, as an evil person. But um, see, people are never the enemy. Jesus, Jesus makes that clear in his dealings with, with people, as, as well as later the apostle Paul says, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, our wrestle, our warfare is against principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And when, um, when James and John wanted to call fire down on a Samaritan village, you talk about overkill. This Samaritan village would not give Jesus a place to stay because he was going to Jerusalem and the Samaritans and the Jews had a difficult relationship and they want to call fire down out of heaven and incinerate this village. And Jesus says, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. You, 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 you're you're going to learn, but right now, you're way off base. Because, you see, it's love. It's the love of Jesus. Love, Jesus loved those Samaritans. He loved the Samaritans that rejected him at that moment and wouldn't allow him into their village. He loved them. And if we're going to influence the world around us, our hearts have to be led by love, not by vengeance. And so this whole passage, everything he says here, moves us in that direction. And so back to that verse, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Uh, he, he gives some illustrations here. And so much of these illustrations are hyperbole, okay? It, it, hyperbole means exaggeration for the sake of emphasis, and he starts off, verse 39, he says, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, not only can a slap on the face be painful, it is humiliating. And to be slapped on your right cheek, most people are right-handed. And so to be slapped on your right cheek, that right-handed person is gonna have to slap you with their left hand. But more than likely what Jesus is describing here is a backhand. It's smack like that which can be more painful and, and really damaging, and ultimately just the ultimate humiliation. And so it's this, this first one has to do with pain, but more than that personal insult and pride. And when we are able to look at Jesus and see what he suffered, and see how he suffered without uttering a word. And yet the Bible says that, uh, that he have felt no shame. He knew that God was his vindicator, and therefore he did not embrace shame when he was struck. He was struck on the face, and he didn't revile in return. And so he's saying here, whoever slaps you, and is an exaggeration, turn the other one to him too. Let him slap you on the other one too. But I don't think he actually literally means that. But what he's saying is don't have a chip on your shoulder that as soon as, as soon as you feel the pain of the smack, you're going into defensive posture and you're ready to, you're ready to take action against the other person to show them a thing, to show them that they can't treat you like that. And that's the spirit of Lamech. And so he's, he says here, don't do... Now, this doesn't mean that you never confront. It doesn't mean that you never speak or you never say, hey, this is wrong, that's wrong. Uh, uh, we just had our uh, oldest son with us yesterday for a few hours. Uh, we had our granddaughters last week and he was here to pick them up. And we were reminiscing and when he was in sixth grade, he had a, t a school teacher that was old school. 
Like when I went to school, we got the, had one teacher that beat us with a yardstick one time and um, broke it over another kid's boy's head sitting beside me. And no, there were no lawsuits over that. There were no parents charge, you know, charging the school. I mean, that was, that was excessive, there's no doubt. But this teacher grabbed my son by the ear and grabbed him, pulled him up, and dragged him to the office by his ear. And so Lori and I went in to see her, and we weren't like riled up. We weren't going in there to like straighten her out or to put her in her place. But we were going in there to talk to her about what had happened. And so we're talking, she's describing, you know, why she did that. And I just felt, I just said this to her. I said, you know, I don't think you have any idea how intimidating you are. I said, I'm a 40-year-old man, and I'm afraid of you. (laughs) I mean, literally, that's, and she was aghast. What, what, how, why? And I said, well, you're stern looking. And I mean, you grab kids by the ear and drag them to the office. And that makes people afraid of you. And so we ended that and left. And I just learned yesterday that my son said right after that, she started coming out onto the playground and spending time with the kids and and getting to know them and showing a different side of herself. So it's it's, it's a good thing to confront, but we have to do it with love. If we had gone in there with the spirit of Lamech, that wouldn't have happened. And so, is that, that's what Jesus is saying here. Now, the next one is personal rights, and that's verse 40. It says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Do you know, actually, according to Old Testament law, you could not keep someone's outer garment as, as a pledge for a loan as surety for a loan. You had to return it to them that night, especially if they were poor. You had to return it to them that night. So you have the right to keep your coat no matter what, no matter what suit is coming against you. The garment was the undershirt. That would be the shirt you would have, and then the cloak was the big heavy hooded thing that they wore all day long to keep warm, and they slept in at night. And so God said, well, you can't keep a man's cloak. Uh, you can't keep a person's cloak. Uh, so. The idea here is that you have legal rights and sometimes you assert those rights, but sometimes you don't. And you see an illustration of that in Acts 16 in Philippi where Paul and Silas were arrested and beaten with rods, thrown into prison, and they're both in prison singing praises to Jesus. An earthquake happens and smashes the prison walls apart but neither Paul nor any of the other prisoners left. Not, none of them fled. And the, the uh, Philippian jailer comes in, and he's, he's ready to kill himself when Paul says, no, don't, don't hold up a minute, wait. No one, no one has fled, because if he loses his prisoners, then his life was forfeit according to Roman law. And so this guy takes them to his house, and he doctors them up, and he and all of his family receive Jesus. And then the next day, the city officials come to send Paul and Silas away. And Paul says, wait a second, we're Roman citizens. And you beat us without justification. And so there he asserts his rights. As a Roman citizen, 
you're not going to just send us away now, you know, you know, hide what happened. You have to come and escort us out yourselves. And so on the one, like, why didn't Paul assert his rights at the beginning? There was another place where they were getting ready to beat Paul. And he says, do you do this to Roman citizens? And they all backed up and said, no, we don't. But why didn't he do it there? Was, did God speak to him? Did he just have some sense there's something bigger happening here than, uh, you know, and I need to just kind of like flow with this, take the beating, because there's a guy and his whole family that are going to get saved this night. I don't know, but I know that he didn't assert his rights at the beginning, but he did at the end. And so we, we don't want to have, we don't want to walk around with a chip on our shoulder, you know, asserting our rights. You know, I had the right to that parking place because I was here first and then you squeezed in in front of me. Well, so what? I mean, there are a thousand different ways in life we can have our rights pushed aside. And I'm not saying that injustice is right. I'm not talking about like big injustice pieces here so much as just in my own personal life, not having a heart of defensiveness over my rights and what I'm entitled to. So then the next one is personal freedom or independence. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with them too. See, the Romans had the legal authority to make someone carry their armor and their, their equipment for one mile. And, and you could do that one mile, grumbling the whole way, dropping stuff everywhere you go, and do a poor job. Jesus says, no, do a great job. Do it joyfully. In fact, go two miles, not just one. And so he's saying here again, and then this could apply to our workplaces, could apply to a boss that maybe isn't always fair, or, or to any number of situations where I don't want to do this, but I'm in a situation where I'm going to have to do it, so I'm going to do it well. In fact, I'm going to go overboard. I'm going to do it really well. And so that's what Jesus is, again, getting at with the heart. And then finally, the last thing he talks about is personal property and having a generous heart. And he says, give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus also said you'll always have the poor with you. And then that's used somehow to justify inaction. You know, my, my um, lack of concern or my, my, to minimize my responsibility, uh, knowing Jesus, to act like Jesus and to help and bless the poor. But Jesus really cared about poor people. In fact, the story of the rich young ruler, who was a guy that um, had obeyed the law, but Jesus said, well, sell everything and give it to the poor, because he recognized the guy had heart issues, and he loved money more than he loved God. And that's in three of the Gospels. That's a powerful story. And, and, and Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he sent Judas out, do you know what the other apostles thought? They thought, oh, Jesus just sent Judas out to give money to the poor. Why would they think that? Well, because that's what Jesus did all the time. He gave money to the poor. Now, what are poor? What is poor? What is poverty? Uh, you know, how are you not taken advantage of? There are all sorts of things that, uh, that really you can look at and, and speak to. Maybe some other time we'll get to do that. But I just want to say this. I don't think he's literally saying that um, you know, empty all the money you have out of your bank account, and anytime someone asks you for money, you just hand it over. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying have a generous heart. Don't close your heart. Have a heart of compassion towards people around you that are hurting. 
And the genuine poor were widows and orphans and those who couldn't work because of some physical malady or those who had been, um, been, they, they, had had, they had been treated unjustly so that they couldn't prosper. And, and yet, he says here, have, to have, we need to have compassion. And, you know, if we just have compassion towards others, it's a good place to end because compassion fits throughout this whole passage. Just have a compassionate heart towards other people, evil people, people that treat you and, you, and you're tempted to think that's an evil person. And just in, in each of these cases, have a heart of compassion and especially towards uh, the poor because the Bible says, he who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him. So we're gonna close our service right now and I wanna ask you to, uh, the prayer teams to make their way down. Would you stand with me please as well? I just want us to open our hearts to God right now and ask Holy Spirit to show us where we need to grow in compassion. Do I need to grow in compassion? Is there some, is, is there some specific area I need to grow in compassion? Are there people that I have closed my heart off to because I think they take advantage or, they're, or I think they're evil and, and therefore I, I don't have compassion or love towards them? And our prayer teams are here to pray with you about any of those issues. If compassion, if you need more compassion in your marriage, just get prayer for that, okay? If there's any physical healing, as we sang earlier, we want to pray for physical healing and see God touch people's bodies and heal, as well as free us from things from our past. If you've been mugged, if you have been taken advantage of, and there's something in your heart towards that person or that kind of person, or someone that looks like that person, then you need to get freedom from that, and this prayer team will pray for you and give you freedom from that as well. So Holy Spirit, um, we, just, we welcome you here. We thank you for being here throughout this whole service. Uh, thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Show us where we need to increase in compassion, mercy towards others. Let us walk in the compassion and love of Jesus towards every person that we encounter. And when others take advantage or they present themselves in opposition, may, may we be unoffendable because we're resting in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so come down for prayer. Great to see you here. We'll see you again next week.